What's up, YouTube? It's your boy JP. He's on the keysiness too. Easy, and we're back with another installment of History's Biggest Villains. Today, due to popular request, we have a story, not just a story, a story of one of the most famous, really infamous, one of the most infamous serial killers in United States history. We're talking about Mr. Ted Bundy. He was convicted of 36 murders of young women, but he had a lot more that he never, I never identified and that the police really never found. Really, what makes him so captivating is not just that he was, he wasn't the first guy to commit all these murders at once, because he was the first to really not fit the image of the typical serial killer. He didn't have the, the, the rough tumble image. He was a clean cut guy. He was a pretty, he was a guy that looked attractive to the women. Like he worked with police. He was a pop. He was a politician. This is the guy you least expected to do this. And even when they apprehended him, just the boldness that he had was crazy. But due to popular request, we now have a history's biggest villains on Mr. Ted Bundy. Um, let me know who else you want me to do. Um, I appreciate your patience because this took a long time for me to get all this information. I was I was also watching documentaries, not just getting. I was doing all types of research. But thank you so much. I really appreciate you so much, and I hope you enjoyed this. Ted Bundy was born Theodore Robert Cowell on November twenty fourth, nineteen forty six, in Burlington, Vermont, to an Eleanor Louise Cowell at the Elizabeth Lund Home for Unwed Mothers. His father's identity was never confirmed. Some accounts claim it was a United States Air Force veteran named Lloyd Marshall. His mother actually claimed that she was with a different war veteran named Jack Worthington, who abandoned her when she became pregnant. Some of his family members even expressed suspicions that his own grandfather, Samuel Cow, who was Louise's father, was Ted Bundy's actual father, but that was debunked by a documentary made in 2020. Bundy lived with his grandparents to avoid the social stigma of single motherhood at the time, and his family and friends actually convinced him that his mother was actually his older sister and that his grandparents were his actual parents. He expressed a harsh resentment for his mother for never telling him about his father and lying to him about his actual family structure. As he grew up, he displayed signs of disturbing behavior at an early age, as Luis's younger brother Julius saw Bundy playing with knives at three years old. One of Bundy's childhood neighbors described him as a bully, saying he liked to terrify people. He liked to be in charge. He liked to inflict pain, suffering, and fear. Bundy often changed up his stories when talking about his grandparents, but in one report saying that he respected and clung to his grandfather in another report, saying that his grandfather beat his wife and dog and even threw his sister-in-law down a flight of stairs. But as he grew older, he was socially awkward and didn't really understand the nuance of developing friendships. However, classmates from his high school said that he was well-liked and well-known. His first legal troubles began in high school, being arrested twice for suspicion of burglary and auto theft. These incidents were expunged from his record by the time he turned 18. After he graduated high school, he attended the University of Puget Sound for a year before transferring to the University of Washington to study Chinese. He dated a woman named Diane Edwards in 1967, but they broke up 
in August 1968. In 1969, he met Elizabeth Kletford, a single mother from Utah who was a secretary. He became a father figure to her daughter Molly, who was three years old when she started dating her when he started dating her mother. However, Molly recalled incidents where Bundy acted inappropriately towards her. These incidents include Bundy hitting her in the face, almost drowning her, indecent exposure, and sexual touching disguised as games. He was accepted into several law schools in 1973, and he also was discussing marriage with Kletford, while dating Diane Edwards again as well, and neither of these women knew about each other. In January 1974, he broke off all contact with Edwards and stopped attending law school by April of that year. Alright, so this is where we're going to get into all of the horrible crimes that Mr. Bundy committed. In terms of YouTube, I don't know if I can say the R-A-P-E word, so I'm just going to say abuse, like he abused her. Like, but when I say abuse, just know that it means R-A-P-E. Just know that's not what that means. That's what that means. Bundy said that he committed murders as early as 1969, but his first actual documented murder was in 1974. A little after midnight on January 4th, 1974, he entered the apartment of 18-year-old Karen Sparks, a student at the University of Washington. He beat her several times with a metal rod from her bed frame and also used this instrument to abuse her, causing major internal injuries. She was unconscious for 10 days, but she survived, suffering physical disabilities. On February 1st, he broke into the dorm of Linda Ann Healy. He beat her unconscious and kidnapped her. During the early part of 1974, female college students began to disappear en masse in the area. On March 12th, Donna Gail Mason, a 19-year-old student at the Evergreen State College in Olympia, never arrived at a jazz concert on campus she was supposed to attend. On April 17th, Susan Elaine Raincourt disappeared on her way to her dorm. Two female students reported encounters with one reporting a man in a sling asking for help carrying something into his brown tan Volkswagen Beetle. On May 6th, Roberta Kathleen Parks left her home at Oregon State University to get coffee with her friends and never came back. Investigators were getting increasingly concerned, but they could not find any physical evidence at the time and the victims had little in common. Young, white college students with long hair. On June 1st, 22-year-old Brenda Carol Ball disappeared, leaving the Flame Tavern. Last seen talking to a man in a sling in the parking lot. On June 11th, University of Washington student Georgian Hawkins disappeared while walking out of the alley between her boyfriend's dorm and her sorority house. Bundy later said that he lured her to his car and knocked her out with a crowbar. He handcuffed her and drove her to Issaquah, a city 20 miles east of Seattle, strangling her and spending the night with her lifeless corpse. He then returned to the body the morning after. While the crime investigation was ongoing, taking her earrings and a shoe, he says that he revisited her corpse on three separate occasions. Witnesses came forward after her disappearance, saying they saw a man in an alleyway who was on crutches and had asked another woman to help him load a suitcase into his brown Volkswagen. During this time, Ted was actually working at the Department of Emergency Services a state government agency actually responsible for finding the missing women. Hitchhiking had dropped sharply and even more pressure was put on law enforcement to find this mystery man. July 14th, 1974, three witnesses saw a young attractive man wearing a white tennis outfit with a sling on his left arm speaking in a Canadian or British accent, introducing himself as Ted. They watched 23-year-old Janice Ott leave with Ted and she was never found again. On that same day, 
Four hours later, 19-year-old Denise Mary Nasland left a picnic that she was attending to use the bathroom and she never returned. King County Police now had a detailed description of the suspect and his car and they printed a composite sketch to be printed in the newspaper and on local television stations. Multiple people recognized the sketch, including his ex-girlfriend, Beth Kletford, but detectives thought it was unlikely a law student with no adult criminal record could be the killer. August 1974, uh, Ted Bundy was accepted into the University of Utah's law school for the second time, although he was overwhelmed with the difficulty of the courses. On October 2nd, he kidnapped 16-year-old Nancy Wilcox in Holiday, Utah. Bundy said her remains were buried near Capitol Reef National Park, 200 miles south, but they were never found. On October 18th, Melissa Ann Smith, 17, and the daughter of the police chief of Midvale, Utah, vanished after leaving a pizza parlor. Her naked body was found in the mountains nine days later. Halloween, 1974, Laura Ann Ames, also 17, disappeared 25 miles south of Midvale after leaving a cafe after midnight. Hikers discovered her nude body in the American Fort Canyon on Thanksgiving Day. Both girls had been beaten, abused, sodomized, and strangled with a nylon stocking. Several years later, Bundy explained his post-mortem rituals with the two young girls, which includes the shampooing of their hair and the application of makeup. On November 8th, he approached 18-year-old telephone operator Carol Durant at the Fashion Place Mall in Murray, Utah. He identified himself as a police officer and told her that someone tried to break into her car and he needed her to accompany him to the police station to file a complaint. When she told Bundy that he wasn't on the right road to the police station, he pulled over and tried to handcuff her. During the scuffle, Bundy accidentally fastened both handcuffs on the same wrist and she was able to escape. Later that evening, 17-year-old high school student Deborah Jean Kent disappeared after leaving a theater production at her school. Several people at the school reported spotting a stranger pacing around the school. Bundy's name was rising higher in suspicion with the King County Police Department as Kletford reported him to the police on three separate occasions. He was also added to the Salt Lake County Police Department's list of suspects, but there was no forensic evidence that linked him to any crimes in Utah in 1975, so he shifted his attention to Colorado. On January 12th, 23-year-old nurse Karen Eileen Campbell disappeared while walking between the elevator and her room at the Wildwood Inn in Showmass Village, Colorado. Her naked body was found a month later on a dirt road just outside the resort with fatal blows to her head, leaving distinct marks on her skull. Her body also had deep cuts from a sharp weapon. On March 15th, 100 miles northeast, 26-year-old ski instructor Julie Cunningham disappeared while leaving her apartment to visit a friend. Bundy would later tell investigators that he lured her to his car by approaching her on crutches, asking for her help to carry ski boots to his car, where he handcuffed her and beat her, abused her, and then strangled her. On April 6th, 25-year-old Denise Lynn Oliverson disappeared near Grand Junction while riding her bike. Her bike and sandals were found near a railroad bridge. On May 6th, Bundy lured 12-year-old Lynette Dawn Culver from Alameda Junior High School in Pocatello, Idaho, drowning her in his hotel room and dumping her body in a river north of Pocatello. On June 28, 15-year-old Susan Curtis vanished from the campus of BYU in Provo, Utah. This was Bundy's 
last confession before he was executed. August 16th, 1975, Bundy was arrested in Granger, Utah by officer Bob Hayward. Bundy fled at a high rate of speed after seeing the police car. Front passenger seat of the Volkswagen Beetle Bundy was driving was removed and several items were found in the car, including a ski mask, a mask cut from pantyhose, a crowbar, handcuffs, trash bags, rope, an ice pick, and other things. However, the police didn't have enough evidence to detain Bundy, so he was released. He later said the police didn't find a collection of photos of his victims, destroyed them upon release. Bundy was placed on 24-hour surveillance, and his ex-girlfriend, Beth Clutford, gave the police a lot of information involving him, as a search of his apartment yielded a meat cleaver, surgical gloves, a knife, and a sack of women's clothing. In September, his Volkswagen Beetle was impounded by police and extensively searched. They found the hair samples of Karen Campbell, Melissa Smith, and Carol DeRanch. The next month, he was put in the police lineup. While although he tried to change his appearance, he was immediately recognized by Carol DeRanch. And while the police couldn't link him to the Kent disappearance or the Washington State murders, they had enough evidence to charge him with aggravated kidnapping and attempted criminal assault of Carol DeRanch while his $15,000 bail was posted by his parents. February 1976, Bundy stood trial for the DeRanch kidnapping, waiving his right to a jury due to the negative publicity around the case. Found guilty of kidnapping and assault, he was sentenced to 1 to 15 years in the Utah State Prison. October, he was caught in the bushes with road maps, airline schedules, and a social security card. He spent several weeks in solitary confinement. Later that month, he was charged with the murder of Karen Campbell, and was transferred to a prison in Aspen. June 7th, 1977, he was transported to Pitkin County Courthouse in Aspen for a preliminary hearing, where he elected to serve pro se, that means you defend yourself, and he wasn't wearing any handcuffs or shackles. During a recess in the hearing, he asked to go to the law library to research his case. Then, when he was out of sight of the guards, he jumped out of a second story window, spraining his ankle. Bundy jumped out of this second story window at the front of the Pitkin County Courthouse this morning. He was scheduled for a court appearance and apparently had been locked into the law library by sheriff's deputies while attorneys were arguing a motion to strike the death penalty. Witnesses say he left in a hurry, however nobody saw him open the window, and he escaped clean in an unknown direction. At both ends of town, the sheriff's department put up roadblocks and searched each vehicle leaving the town of Aspen. As of late this afternoon, Bundy was still missing, but a court clerk said they'd arrested nine people on warrants and confiscated 200 pounds of marijuana. He walked through Aspen, hiking onto the Aspen Mountain. Near the summit, he broke into a hunting cabin, stealing food, clothes, and a rifle. He got lost in the forest, wandering aimlessly for two days, breaking into a camping trailer, is stealing more food and a parka. He eventually stole a car and drove back into Aspen. He was physically suffering, cold, sleep deprived, and dealing with the pain of his sprained ankle. He was stopped by police officers noticing his car weaving in and out of the lane, and they found maps of the mountains where prosecutors were using to find Karen Campbell. He was a fugitive for six days. Now back in jail, he ignored all the advice of his friends and legal team to stay put as the investigators had a weak case against them as a lot of the evidence they presented was deemed inadmissible by the courts. But instead, Bundy established another escape plan, acquiring the floor plan of the Garfield County Jail, a hacksaw blade, and $500 that he had smuggled in from visitors. During the evenings, he sawed a one square foot hole between the steel bars and the cell ceilings. 
and his drastic 35 pound weight loss allowed him to squeeze through it into the crawl space above. Over several weeks, he performed several practice runs, getting a feel for the space. There were multiple reports to staff about movement in the ceiling at night, but they were never investigated. The publicity of Bundy's trial in Aspen caused Bundy to file for a change of venue to Denver, and this was granted by the Aspen trial judge, but it was moved to Colorado Springs instead, where juries were historically hostile to murder suspects. On December 30th, with most of the jail staff on Christmas break, Bundy piled books and files in his bed and covered them with a blanket to simulate a body. Climbing into the crawl space, he broke through the ceiling of the apartment of the chief jailer who was out for the evening, changing into street clothes and walking out of the door. He stole a car driving eastward out of Glen Springs, but the car broke down in the mountains and a passing motorist gave him a ride to Vail, 60 miles east, where he caught a bus to Denver, boarding a flight to Chicago. The skeleton crew at the jail didn't discover that Bundy was missing until noon on December 31st, more than 17 hours later. Bundy boarded a train to Ann Arbor, Michigan on January 2nd. Five days later, he stole a car and drove to Atlanta where he boarded a bus and arrived in Tallahassee, Florida on the 8th. He rented a hotel room in a boarding house near Florida State University. He later said he wanted to find legit employment and stop killing as he could probably remain low and undetected, but the one job he applied for had to be abandoned once they asked him to produce some identification. He resorted back to shoplifting and stealing money and credit cards from women's wallets. January 15, 1978, he entered Florida State University's Chai Omega sorority house through a back door, bludgeoning 21-year-old Margaret Bowman with a piece of firewood as she slept, and then strangled her with a nylon stocking. He entered the room of Lisa Levy, 20 years old, and beat her unconscious, strangling her, biting her buttock in her breast, abusing her with a hair mist bottle, with the attack being so severe that her internal organs were ruptured. He then attacked Kathy Kleiner, breaking her jaw and lacerating her shoulder, and then Karen Chandler, who suffered a concussion, broken jaw, loss of teeth, and a crushed finger. Both Kleiner and Chandler survived, and Bundy was seen by another student as he escaped the scene. Upon leaving the sorority house, he broke into a basement apartment eight blocks away and attacked Cheryl Thomas, dislocating her shoulder, fracturing her jaw and skull in five places, and she was left with permanent deafness and equilibrium damage that ended her dance career. On February 8th, he drove 150 miles east to Jacksonville in a stolen van where he attempted to abduct a 14-year-old girl, but he was stopped by her older brother. Later that afternoon, he kidnapped 12-year-old Diane Leach from her school in Lake City, Florida. She was found seven weeks later by police with her throat slashed and showing evidence of abuse. On February 12th, with no money for his overdue rent and a suspicion that the police were pretty close. Bundy stole another car and fled. Three days later, he was stopped by Pensacola police after a wants and warrants check revealed that his Volkswagen Beetle was stolen. Officer David Lee told him he was under arrest. He kicked out his legs from under him and took off running. Lee gave chase and tackled him as Bundy tried to reach for his gun until he finally subdued and arrested him. Lee found three sets of IDs belonging to female Florida State University students. 21 stolen credit cards, and a stolen TV. And as Lee loaded Bundy into the police car, he heard him say, I wish you had killed me. June 1979, Bundy stood trial for the Child Omega murders and assaults. This drew a media frenzy, and this was the first trial to be televised 
nationally in the United States. Bundy handled much of his own defense again, despite having five court-appointed attorneys. A member of his defense team, Mike Minerva, said that a pretrial plea bargain was negotiated to which Bundy would admit to killing Levy, Bowman, and Leach in exchange for a firm 75-year sentence. Bundy refused the deal at the last minute. It made him realize that he was going to have to stand up in front of the whole world and say that he was guilty, Minerva said. He just couldn't do it. Crucial testimony from Chi Omega members Connie Hastings and Nita Neary placed Bundy in the vicinity of the sorority house that night and also leaving the house with the murder weapon in hand. The impressions of the bite marks on Lisa Levy's left buttock were matched to castings of Bundy's teeth by forensic odontologists Richard Soverine and Lowell Levine. On July 24, 1979, the jury deliberated for less than seven hours before finding Bundy guilty of the Bowman and Levy murders, three counts of attempted first-degree murder, and two counts of burglary. The trial judge, Edward Coward, sentenced him to death for the murders. Six months later, Bundy was found guilty of the abduction and murder of Leach, as clothing fibers found in the van and on Leach's body matched the fibers from the jacket he was wearing when he was arrested. During this time, Carol Boone had moved to Florida to be near Bundy and testified on his behalf for both trials and was now testifying as a character witness. Bundy asked her to marry him and she accepted. February 10th, 1980, Bundy was sentenced a third time to death by electrocution. He shouted, tell the jury they were wrong as the sentence was announced. Boone actually gave birth to a daughter Rose in October of 1981, naming Bundy the father as conjugal visits weren't allowed in the prison where Bundy was at, but inmates were known to pull their money in order to bribe guards to allow them intimate time alone with their female visitors. After his sentencing, Bundy initiated a series of interviews, speaking in the third person to avoid the stigma of confession. He was an obsessive kleptomaniac, virtually shoplifting everything that he owned. The big payoff for me, he said, was actually possessing whatever it was I had stolen. I really enjoyed having something that I had wanted and had gone out and taken. Sexual assault, he said, fulfilled his need to totally possess his victims. At first, he killed his victims as a matter of expediency to eliminate the possibility of being caught. Later, murder became part of the adventure. It, the ultimate possession was in fact the taking of the life, he said, and then the physical possession of the remains. Bundy also talked to Special Agent William Hagmeyer of the FBI Behavioral Analysis Unit. Hagmeyer was struck by the deep, almost mystical satisfaction that Bundy took in murder. He said that after a while, murder was not just a crime of lust or violence, Hagmeyer related. It becomes possession. They are a part of you. The victim becomes a part of you. And you two are forever one. You and the grounds where you kill them and leave them become sacred to you. And you will always be drawn back to them. Bundy actually told Hagmeyer that he considered himself an amateur and impulsive killer in his early years before moving into what he termed his prime and predator phase at about the time of Healy's murder in 1974. This implied that he began killing well before 1974, although he never explicitly admitted having done so. Bundy confessed to numerous additional murders in Idaho, Utah, and Colorado. However, there were some murders that he refused to elaborate, maybe a conflict between his desire to postpone his execution by divulging information and his need to remain in total possession 
the only person who knew his true victim's resting place, said Colorado detective Matt Linval. Carol Boone, she championed Bundon's innocence through all of his trials and was deeply betrayed when he actually admitted that he was guilty. She moved back to Washington with her daughter and refused to answer his phone call morning of his execution. Bundy was executed by electric chair in the Rayford State Prison at 7.16 a.m. on Tuesday, January 24, 1989, as revelers sang, set off fireworks, and cheered as the white hearse with Bundy's body departed the prison. Man, that's heavy, bro. Like, doing the research for that, just thinking, like, just the fact that he was able to do that. He did all that in four years. Like, think about that. That's crazy. But, and also just, like, hearing his interviews and seeing how just demented he was and how he really didn't care that he was doing this to people. And the fact that he never wanted to take the blame for it. Like, he always wanted to try to blame somebody else and it was somebody else's fault. But this definitely gave a rise to the term serial killer, you know, like, because nobody had ever used that term to describe people before because this was the first, like, highly publicized serial murder case since, like, Charles Manson and his crew. So, like, yeah, definitely let me know if you want me to get more into, like, the serial killers or, like, the terrible events that happened. I had a lot of fun making this, even though it took a lot of time. I had a lot of fun. But, uh, please uh, leave a like if you enjoyed it. That subscribe button if you're new to the channel. Don't forget to turn on my post notifications. Thank you. I'm out. Peace.